0: you know what you're listening to right three two one uzima health and wellness what the doctor say hey this is dr k with what the doctor say it's uzima health and wellness podcast i'm welcoming dr kyler keith wilkes third year medical student ms3 from howard i had a medical professor who would always tell us you are a doctor once you get accepted into medical school. So we're going to claim it, as we say. Amen to that. We're yes, ma'am. No. Amen. It. So welcome to the show, Dr. Wilkes. I'm just so impressed by your resume, first of all. impressed by you because brother brother uh, put on one of the best residency fairs that i've ever been to and i've been keeping in touch with you ever since right
1: yes
2: ma'am it's been it's been great i've been learning a lot from you you've been putting me on game um, <laughs> i love the work you do in the community it's also something big to me as well so you mm-hmm. know we met at the residency fair we've been rocking out since we've been so rocking thank you since. very much
0: absolutely absolutely i love your energy let's slow it down here and let's start from the top you know mm-hmm. uh like Drake say started from the bottom now we're here you Amen are to that It's been a long way. (laughs) It's been a long way. Well, you make it look good, brother. Let me just say you are from Bro Bridge, Louisiana. And what it says there is that this is the entry point to the Southern Cajun living and lifestyle. I looked it up now. It said you are the (laughs) crawfish, capital yes, of ma'am. the United States of America. That's that in the where world. Best in the world. And okay. <laughs> and you are the home of Zydeco Funk. Now I grew up in Houston, mm-hmm. so I know what Zydeco Funk is.
2: Yes, ma'am.
0: So what do you want us to know about growing up as a black man, as a young black boy into a man in Brook Ridge, Louisiana?
2: Yeah, so it's it's really crazy. I always tell this to people. Um I'm I'm very happy about where I came from. I, I love my hometown. Um, If you look at any of my posts, when I, you know, make an accomplishment, I always put a hashtag in exit 109 because on Interstate 10, that's, you know, that's our exit to, uh, to hop right off. It definitely is a real traditional upbringing, a uh, real, real Southern. Definitely was a culture shock, you know, when I moved to D.C. because I had never been exposed to that much diversity, and, and uh, you just know the fast-paced lifestyle of a city, but I grew up, My cousins were like my brothers and my sisters, you know, very tight-knit family. At one point, lived with my grandparents. So, you know, family's always been a a real big part of me. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's it's funny that you actually looked up uh, the information on Bro Bridge, because when people ask me where I'm from, because it always comes from the accent. And uh, I tell them I'm from Bro Bridge, and they say, where is that? And of course, sometimes I go across iTunes, I'm like, you know where Baton Rouge is? They say, you know where New Orleans is? Yeah, two hours away from New Orleans, but... Uh, The thing that always gets everybody is I tell them, have you ever heard of the show Swamp People? Mm-hmm. And everyone's heard of that show with some where they hunt the alligators and all of this. Well, growing up, we used to go fishing in mm-hmm. some of these same places. So it's about 15, 20 minutes from where I grew up. But uh, overall, you know, I definitely uh, attest, you know, my mentality, my humbleness, my dedication to community work, to my upbringing.
0: I not didn't have to just look it up. I, I worked mm-hmm. in that area. You did. Um when I was at I finished family medicine and they needed a, an emergency mm-hmm. medicine position down in Homa, Louisiana. I was like, okay, gotta go. And so I <laughs> took a ferry from Galveston to uh over to Beaumont, Beaumont, and I was headed to um Homa, Louisiana. Mm-hmm. So I transversed I-10. I went down past New Iberia. Um Ooh, I yeah, you Exactly. <laughs> And so, of course, uh, and, and I also worked at Lafayette Heart Hospital. So right before I got to Lafayette, there would be that exit for Brobridge. Mm-hmm. And so I would see that sign. I think it even has a crawfish on it. But what I really <laughs> want to say is, you know, the people in places like Homa, Terrebonne Parish, uh, Lafayette, Brobridge, which is St. Martin's Parish, if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. you all are what I would call the salt of the earth people. I would be the Christmas doc in these uh, smaller emergency rooms and the paramedics would come through and they would uh, drop off me some crawfish etouffee. That, that
2: would definitely make it day better. <laughs> and, they, they, and they made
0: sure that their doctor was fed. And so that mm-hmm. was very special. And uh, they would call me Dr. Baby. They're like, you look too young to be a doctor. So they, the nurse said, okay, we're going to call you Dr. Baby. And I said, that's fine, you know, just as long as you put a handle on it. Uh, and, and we would rock and roll and take care of the people in the community. So specifically, uh, tell me about growing up, growing up in terms of the educational system. Give me, give me a day in the life uh, so that I can uh, appreciate what a rural upbringing means.
2: Yeah, I think that the biggest thing for me, um, as much as, you know, my upbringing influenced me, as I mentioned before, family. I was raised by educators, right? My mom was a teacher. Uh, my dad got married to my stepmom when I was, I think, eleven. She's like a uh, English teaching specialist. My dad was a coach most of my life and a teacher as well. So it always was really emphasized the importance of education within my house. Uh, With that being said, you know, a lot of the schools I went to, because again, private schools weren't really in the picture for me and my siblings. You know, not only was it just kind of expensive, but it was a lot of us. You know, I'm the oldest of like nine, um, including, you know, uh, my my uh, birth siblings and also uh, my step siblings as well. So we were a pretty big family. But, you know, regardless of those being able to come home and uh, having my parents, just constantly like, make sure you read, make sure you put your best uh, step forward. It allowed me and all of my siblings to kind of blossom in that regard. As far as the public school systems in Louisiana, I think everyone, we hear about the statistics, right? You know, 49th here, 50th and some other ones, it just kind of teeters back and forth. So my middle school uh, was, I think, a D school or something. So was my elementary school. But as I got to high school, I think we were more in like the C range. Uh, comparative to a lot of my peers upon this you know medical journey that I've been on even once I got to Xavier in college a lot of them that you know have gone to like the, the better public schools or even like the the, the more resourceful private schools there's definitely kind of like a teetering in the resources that they have comparatively but Uh, I definitely think that my parents put that extra energy into me and also the investment of my teachers and even my peers made up for whatever we may have been missing in funding um, our education resources. And I definitely think it worked out pretty well for a lot of us.
0: Did you have an extracurricular or you were an athlete? Oh, young black guy. You had to be an athlete, right?
2: I say this often. If I would have ended up being like six, four. I would not be in medicine. I probably would be playing a sport like my my younger brother, who's six two and he plays division one football. i mean my my very first memories of my dad were dribbling a basketball in the high school gym. My mom would drop us off with him while he was at practice so uh from very on, you know, very active. I played football, basketball, baseball. I was in 4-H, Beta Club, National Anastasites. I did all the science fairs, social studies fairs. Whatever you could think of, my parents is like, you're going to do it. Because having to overcome not being, you know, probably as challenged academically, they had to find ways to continue to keep me motivated and engaged. Uh, mm-hmm. so, you know, I was, all I was a busy kid, but that's also like when you talk a lot, that's why I always have something going on because as much as I may fuss about being busy, I can't function if I'm not busy because exactly. it's all I know at this point.
0: So the question is, you left, you just graduated from high school
1: mm-hmm.
0: and you chose Xavier University.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yes, I that, uh I know there's a lot of tradition in Louisiana. I mean, you got mm-hmm. your Xavier families, you got your Dillett families. Why Xavier?
2: I'll be, I'll be completely honest and transparent with you dr k i did not know what like an hbcu was mm-hmm. uh, you know in high school which is which is wild because i have a lot of family members that went to xavier my dad graduated from southern southern he's a
0: southern so graduate. we got a shout out to southern uh <laughs> university and baton rouge i know something about southern Oh, they have a band. The band is- That band, band is really band good. Is right.
2: <laughs> that band is, I think they call it the Human Jukebox. This is a really good band. Yes. Yes, ma'am.
0: In all seriousness, they also mm-hmm. have one of the finest law schools, and they produce some of the finest lawyers that the United States has had, particularly when it comes with Black mm-hmm. lawyers. But they have produced uh, outstanding law. I also
2: think Southern is the only HBCU that's is like a multi-campus system. So all over the state, Southern has camps. That's also like a, just a pretty cool uh, tidbit. Mm-hmm. But uh, but yeah. So growing up, my biggest thing was I wanted to go to Harvard. That was you right. know my my ride or die. When I was like a a sophomore, I was getting like a lot of letters from Ivy Leagues. I did really well on my ACT uh, early on. So I got like a lot of letters from Ivy Leagues, but Harvard was the spot. But then I forgot, I I think I went somewhere and I was like, okay, I don't know if I could do this away from my family type of deal. And I was like, oh, Tulane is also really, really good. So uh, when it came time to apply for college, I only applied to two schools, Tulane and Loyola. Right. In New Orleans, I was like, you know, it's a fairly decent uh way from home. But also, you know, could challenge myself academically. And I got into both of the schools and I got scholarships, but it wasn't full. I mean, I knew my parents couldn't help me pay for school. And I also didn't want to put out loans because medical school is expensive. So one of my cousins uh, who graduated, he's a pharmacist. Um, he graduated from Xavier. and He was like, you ever thought about Xavier? And I was like, mm, not really. Like, what is that? And, you know, he just kind of like started putting me on game. And I went on a tour, fell in love with the campus. Uh, I applied, uh, got a full ride, and the rest is history. Uh, Loved everything about it. I feel like I was not only challenged, but I I had the support system that I I didn't really have as far as being in, in high school. You know, going from what I would probably consider more of like a... PWI type of high school. I think we were more around 55 to 60% white at the time. to like an HBC whereas 95%. And, you know, a lot of my teachers, you know, if not all of my teachers looked like me. Correct. So it definitely was an adjustment when I first got there, but I loved it. I love the man that I became at the time. I love the student that I evolved into and also the, uh, the leader. I think that was the biggest thing for me. My, my leadership skills definitely evolved.
0: Well, we call Xavier the Emerald City, right? Because of the
2: green tops. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the tops. That's right. First of all, let's 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 give a shout out to Xavier. I've met plenty of fine Xavier graduates and know them because I also grew up in Houston. And so some of my friends were diehard. We're going to Xavier and I went to Atlanta. So mm-hmm. you know, we were like throw it up if you go going to the 504, throw it up if you go going to the 404. And uh, we wished each other well. But my friends that went to Xavier, they already knew they knew that's where they were going. So it's steeped in tradition, and I have not met any Xavier graduate who has been disappointed. They all have said the same thing. I became the best version of myself, prepared me for a great future. We also want to acknowledge that Xavier has been, bar none, one of the top producing schools for preparing Black medical students and getting you ready for Medical school. I think Prairie View and Xavier are both uh, one of the one and two or two mm-hmm. and one. I don't know which one, but I know that you are, you both do a fine job. Both institutions mm-hmm. do a fine job of preparing their students for medical school. So let me you say your leadership. Something that struck me on your resume is said that you was involved in terms of independent grassroots mm-hmm. activities, and it sounded like you know of all of the things on your resume that actually stood out, that you, you went back to your hometown, mm-hmm. uh, Broadridge, Louisiana, and you helped with COVID, and you helped mm-hmm. with the voter registration drive initiatives in your area, and I'm sure you did other work as well. Talk about that work, and also uh, what it means to be an advocate for your own community. Yes, ma'am. so it's
2: great that you actually mentioned that. Um, remember, uh, not this week but the last time we spoke I told you I was going back home because I was planning an event so I want to say it was in July we did a back to school bash uh mm-hmm. me and my mom in partnership with some other organizations and we were able to uh, I think it was around like 160 book sacks with school supplies and everything we we're able to give to the students we also gave them like other learning tools uh had a free barbecue and everything, fun jumps. We had the news people come. I ran a suture clinic for all of the kids that were interested in uh being doctors or nurses or anything within healthcare. And I think uh for me, the, the biggest thing, and as I told the kids, uh, as I said to the news people is, you know, growing up, I didn't have that. Right. I didn't I couldn't look at somebody and say, you know, I want to be a doctor. So how do I get there? Or what do I have to do? Or or not even being a doctor. Like I just want to go to college. Right. Like I want to make my environment better. And I, I want to be better. Right. And and that's been the the biggest thing for me. Just serving as that that role model or, or as that pillar for a lot of young people to lean on. Uh, my biggest uh motto as of as of late has been, you know, while I may not be the first person to do something, I can at least be very happy. With not being the last person and making sure that, you know, whatever steps I take, I'm just paving the road for more people to take and push that road further. It it all just again kind of starts at home, right? I remember being 11, 12 years old, my parents waking me up on the weekends to go work at the food bank. uh, Oh, I got food bank. Mm -hmm. Yes. uh, So uh, when my dad got married to my stepmom, her parents are pastors. So within the church, you know, free garage sales uh, where people could just come and get furniture, clothes, whatever they want for absolutely free. Uh, we would hand out food, we do food pantries. So, you know, my entire life has been dedicated to public service and community service, just being able to give back. So regardless of how busy I may be, I always try to to put that within my schedule because that's something real dear and close to my
0: heart. That's the same thing for for myself as well. Mm -hmm. We grew up in the community centers, and I think it's very important that students, not even just the ones tracking for medical school, but we teach our young students in high school to do some type of volunteer service and make sure they actively participate. Don't just show up Mm -hmm. and you know, right now we do have to struggle with them getting off their phone. You came and supported me at my lace-up activity of leading athletes. It's an amazing
2: event, by the way. I love it. We had such a great time. We had such a great
0: time. And you're right. And you don't have time to get on your phone. You know why? Because you're too busy interacting with kids, giving them dental supplies. And that's what it's all about. Like, you gotta do something. Do you have, have you ever done Habitat for Humanity in your area, or is that like? Oh, a- I actually haven't.
2: I honestly don't know the presence of Habitat for Humanity where I'm from, oh. but. Again again, like a lot of the stuff that, that I do, you know, with my family, just kinda like stuff that I'll come up with an idea and my family, not only my parents, but my, you know, um immediate family, like you my first cousins. We we did a basketball tournament where I originally yeah. did voter registration and got around two hundred and fifty people registered to vote.
0: Tell me about this voter push. Why are you passionate about the uh voting push in your area? Why is that important?
2: So uh I think the, the biggest uh, thing that jumped out to me was Uh, in the age of social media and and Twitter and a lot of things, right? I just kind of, just got a hint of just a lot of people having like a lot of different concerns and just always feeling like their voices weren't being heard. Right. And that, that was always a constant narrative where I came from. Right. Oh. You know, uh, Brobridge, Louisiana, I think, you know, we have a, a nice fraction of our population who are beneath the poverty line. There are a lot of socio, uh, economic things that aren't, you know, doing too well there. And, you know, the biggest way for us within our democratic process to, to be acting for our voices to be heard is going in there and, checking on that ballot box right and why i don't believe that that's you know the end all be all that there needs to be more work that's a first step for us i feel strongly about voting uh we had you know a lot of our ancestors in the civil rights movement that's something that they fought for for our voices to be heard and i definitely think that bare minimum to pay homage to them but also to do justice to ourselves right mm-hmm. that's just something that you know we can take more serious, and not only just as you know, specifically saying we as just in Black people, but just Americans in general, right? I think a lot of people were very upset in the I want to say the 2016 election with President Trump, but literally immediately afterwards, I want to say in 2020 it was when we did our first voter registration drive, uh-huh. and uh, we did a breakdown of like the election results and you know what essentially went wrong, I and mean, then once you kind of look at the numbers of how many people either didn't vote or weren't registered to vote during that time period, it tells you the story of why the election happened the way it did. For me, it was just like, okay, that's an issue that I know that I can push and get. You know, well, it may like be a million people or hundreds of thousands. If I get little chunks of people here and there, then they can get people. And that is how you start to build a a community conscience about how we become more active within our communities to be the change that we really want.
0: And this is important in small rural America as well, you know, that we have to make sure that we understand the importance of voting. And as generations come about, that they understand that this is how you keep services in rural America. This is how you keep funding in rural America by making sure that they don't discount your your town. Um, and therefore services don't dry up. And that when the cities and the larger areas, uh, I guess that would be Lafayette for you mm-hmm. or Baton Rouge even, that mm-hmm. when you are thinking about whether there's healthcare services, ambulance services, other infrastructural needs, that Broadridge is always you know, being recognized and that's really through the vote.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so I think that's outstanding. You said you went to Xavier knowing that you wanted to be a physician. Is that correct? Yes,
2: ma'am. Before college, I was on the fence of the law in medicine. I want to say around my sophomore year I did this uh program uh you probably know the hospital UMC mm-hmm. in Lafayette. Yes. And, and uh it was a Month long program, if I'm not mistaken, either two weeks or a month. And uh, we got to go in there and actually work with the doctors. And that was my first time, you know, getting to see what, what an OR looks like, right? And while I didn't specifically know the totality of what was going on, just the feeling of being in there and seeing all of the the blinking lights and, and, and just, you know, the, the monitors. It, it was an adrenaline rush for me that's yeah. just like, still to this day, every time I go into OR, I still feel the same way. And that that's just kind of what pushed me to like, okay, I, I have to be a surgeon. Like, you know, most people say, you know, like, I need a job that even on my worst day I can do. But for me, it's like, I honestly can't see myself doing anything else. And, and that that's a feeling I hope
0: everyone finds in mm-hmm. their journey to find their career and their passion. So you left, you wanted to, you knew that was your trajectory. Because what yes, I you know. at is, You know, we keep talking about this low percentage of black Americans. I'm gonna say black Americans just to be very clear Mm -hmm. uh, that we are children who are from generations who are families who were born into America and, um, you know, our forefathers were part of the diaspora uh, and part enslavement and we've evolved. And and so I want to be clear what the demographics that we're talking about, we're talking about um, Black American students, Mm -hmm. uh, 6.5%, maybe even less, to be honest with you, depending on the day, but we're still hovering around between 5.5 and let's say a whole percentage point higher of 6.5 of Black male and female combined in medical school we know that the black male number for medical students and hence into the workforce is somewhere hovering around 1.2 to 1.7. I think is a statistic mm. that I have heard. And that number, the numbers have not changed. I've been in medicine now 20 years. That was the number when I was uh, entering and it has not changed. So you go into mm. medicine knowing, you go into college knowing, and I want to know then, What, as you reflect on that decision, are we missing in terms of trying to get more Black males like you into medical school?
2: I'm going to take the the URL answer, right, is the the multifactorial, right? It's it's, it's a lot of things that go into it. Uh, I know for me, right, even looking at some of the similar battles, right, uh, whether it be economically, whether it be uh, my environment or the things that were going on around me. And just to see, you know, how if I just didn't have my parents, right, you know, that just made sure that we were always on the right track or made sure that we, you know, prioritize education, how much different my life would have been, right? Definitely the the socioeconomic side of things, you have people that oftentimes not only you know, within the household, the issues of of money become apparent where you have to kind of, okay, do I place more emphasis on being able to get a meal tonight? Or do I place more emphasis on studying for these tests? And then over time, like what that does is you kind of start living for survival versus focusing solely on your own individual academic success. Actually, I have a lot of friends, right? I remember when I was eight years old and you know everyone was asked, oh what you want to be when you get older and and if I could if I would tell you at least half of the girls in the class wanted to be neonatologists I I would be lying and I honestly didn't know what a neonatologist was but it just goes to show you that a lot of our black kids understand what they want to be early on Mm. the problem is how do I get from point a to point b in point B to point C while facing all of this adversity on a road that I don't have any guidance or leadership for someone who's actually been there before. It was honestly the same thing uh, with me, as I mentioned before, right? Uh, Dr. K, like looking back, I honestly can't remember seeing a black doctor before, like I got to college, right? So growing up, it was always like, huh, my parents are telling me, you know, you could be whatever you want to be, but the road's going to be hard. And it was harder because mm-hmm. if I wouldn't have chose Xavier, how was I ever going to get that mentorship to understand, like, oh, I need these letters of recommendation or or, or I need to make sure this is my MCAT score. These are my research and all of these, these things. And we lose a lot of kids, specifically Black males, along the way on that path. Well, I'm going to say this.
0: Okay, I'm going to assume, let's assume that we, again, have the person that is... Mm-hmm is being supported, okay has this smart young black male that is that says "I want to be a doctor. I also think that we um, lose the, the student uh, to basically the the hurdles that it takes for mm-hmm. getting into medical school. So what I, I've had to tell someone is that we have to start to be honest okay about the hurdles. and therefore, when we get students who are really have a good head start, okay? We have students at different levels. We don't always have a student that has no funding, no direction, no this, mm-hmm. no that. And oops, I found my way into college. And Oops, I found my way. I want to be a doctor. Well, let's talk about the student that has, has, has got a shot, okay? Mm-hmm. That is not a sophomore and biology major, but they don't understand the hurdle. The hurdle is, can you keep a GPA up? Mm-hmm. Did you take the MCAT before you finished college? What about the gap year, okay? Mm-hmm. Yes or no? Can you get through, um, do your interviews? OK, for, for medical school and understanding the steps and what these steps mean. I have seen a bigger trend. So you get through Xavier. Do you mm-hmm. take a gap year or you go straight? Oh, on power? well,
2: it's actually crazy. I took gap years within medical school to get other degrees, but I, I went straight through. I moved so to you, DC when I was 21. So I graduated from Xavier and like, I think a week and a half later, I was on the road in my little Corolla <laughs> to move to <laughs> DC for medical school. Right, so, so I you went straight planned, through.
0: So you planned, you planned that. So, so I am seeing a trend and of this gap year conversation, mm-hmm. right? And I don't have a problem. Well, I guess I do, to be honest with you, because I went, I didn't go straight through because I didn't get in but I went on and got another degree and that's a master's in public health from Emory. But what, what I want to say is they have not taken the MCAT. They have not even applied one time. And then they decide, oh, I'm going to take a gap year and then I'm going to get the ball rolling. Do you understand the difference with that? You leave college and then you assume that that gap year is not going to be filled with distractions. And the college time, If you, if you let me know if you agree, is that time where you can sit down, at least take the MCAT and then make a five-year plan.
2: Yes, so I think as far as that, You know, specific scenario. While I personally didn't, you know, take that route myself, I think it's more of a product of of the current situation within, you know, uh, secondary education and medical education and even in some cases residency education. Right. Uh, I know for me specifically, I want to go into plastic surgery. So it's been a trend now for a lot of people before residency to take a gap year to do research. I think that the biggest reason is because getting into to medical school is is becoming you know that much more competitive because it's like a is the funnel is even tighter, right? We don't have as the spots in medical schools aren't particularly increasing versus the number of people that want to get into medical schools, and you know we've both been in that environment. It's highly competitive, and so is that admissions process. So you have people who killed themselves through undergrad, and oh, I I gotta get this, I gotta get this. So by the time you get to the end is like well damn i'm burnt you know so they take that year off and like you said the distractions are still going to be there mm-hmm. and then you have the the path of you have some people that take the gap year and you know they apply to get in but then you have some that either apply don't get in and just kind of you look and it's the gap year went from one year to two years to three years and you know we all have our own individual journeys right but that's always a consideration and then for those who are already uh, economically disadvantaged, right, now you have to work and now you have to find right. things. As you said, there's other quote unquote distractions because then you start to survive.
0: If someone is deciding to take the gap year, what I'm recommending is that they at least take the MCAT. You could also put yourself in a position to apply for a spot, get a spot, right? And you can defer your admissions. That's one strategy. But what we have to start doing is talking to our students about the hurdles once they get into Mm -hmm. undergrad, making sure you keep your GPA high, making sure you plan maybe in your junior year for your to take the MCAT at least one time. It's not going to hurt you. You don't have to report it. So you see what I'm saying. Some of these strategies. I've talked to students saying, "Okay, so what? You're not the best mathematics student, then take your take your summers and do physics, do calculus Mm -hmm. one class, and." That will count, you know, on the transcript. Make a strategy to succeed, not be denied. And also, uh, one thing that I've been,
2: you know, been talking to younger people about is, and this is, again, just personally, just me, right? I'm not the the god. I'm not on admissions committee or anything. But I feel as though if you're going to take the gap year anyways, right, and you're going to go to school, I'm more along the lines of, like, get a degree for it, right, versus, like, a a, a post back. Yeah. Yeah, you're right, because... At that point, not only does it look better on the application and makes you more competitive, but when it comes time for residencies and even, you know, when it comes time to be in attending and applying these jobs, they aren't gonna look at a post baccalaureate certificate the same way that they'll look at a master's of public health, right? Or a master of public administration or whatever it might be.
0: Yeah, you have yes. policy. You're getting a, a master's in policy, public policy. Yes, ma'am.
2: MBA. Uh, I have to do my capstone for my master's of public administration. And then my MBA starts on Monday, actually. So I know I want to go into a hospital administration and also a medical school administration with hopes of being a dean one day. So I'm just kind of, again, like trying to prepare myself. So once the time comes, I don't have to like, well, I, I missed the job because I didn't have this. I, you know, once I graduate school, I don't want to go back. I, I'm just... <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, let me let me just say this. Also, we talk about the time investment. I mean, I've been 20 years in this and it is an investment of time. And right. what I tell students is, listen, time is going to come and go. So be in a career that you love and that you want to evolve in, right? That is what it's about. So like you're, you're saying the same thing, like I'm getting... And, and also what I tell even my residents, when I say, well... Uh, I want to be done. I said, you're never done. And you also want to put enough feathers in your hat to keep changing as medicine changes. Because what people don't appreciate is medicine is an evolving specialty. We now have, you know, onset of telehealth. You know, so anybody that was talking about primary care, internal medicine, you now have to consider that your practice is going to have a telehealth component. You have to be prepared for that, and that happened because of COVID. Um, That's a part
2: of our curriculum now. As a matter right. of fact, I was on ro- I was on rotations taking telehealth calls like right. right now, asking questions.
0: It's here to stay. So tell me about Howard. Did you choose mm-hmm. Howard?
2: I did my interviews. I think January and February. So I got I got into Mizzou and Howard, and then I had another interview at LSU. But I'll be honest. Once I got into Howard, I I called LSU and I was just like, yeah, I'm, uh, you know, I'll am i turn down the interview, you know, somebody else might need it, you know, because mm-hmm. in my mind, once I got into Howard, I was like, I'm going to Howard. It, it wasn't even a, a if and, buts about it. Not only was it an HBCU, but knowing that, you know, in my mind, I was like, okay, I'm thinking cardiothoracic surgery, some type of surgery, maybe interventional cardiology. And I'm looking at Howard and I'm looking at the Dr. Cornwell's or the Dr. Ford's and the Dr. Rose, the Dr. Fulham's, the Dr. LaSalle. And I'm just like, all these surgeons are here just like teaching. I was like, I'm coming here. Like, this is where (laughs) I want to be because Mm -hmm. Iron sharpens iron. Like I want not only to be in a in a space where I could be comfortable learning, but I want people to push me. Like I want to be the best, so I need to learn from the best, and they're the best. So you know, and, you know yeah. So I I got in Dr. K, and I was just like, I called my dad. I was like, yeah, uh I got this this letter from Howard this year. I got in. I was like, I don't know about this LSU interview on Friday. He was like, what you mean? I'm like, I don't want to do it. Like I'm I'm <laughs> going to Howard. He was like, well, I want you to pray about it, Aww. and then call me on Friday or whatever before you respond I was just like okay I called him the next morning it was a Tuesday I Wednesday I was like I prayed about it God said go to D.C.
1: <laughs> and I,
2: I sent my letter and my deposit immediately I was like I'm going to Howard.
0: And well let I'm- me just say that. let me tell you tell you why that, that's a, that was a big deal and that's a big decision, a big jump, because people may not appreciate that. First of all, you were, you was turning down a state school and it's a fine state school. We, we know that LSU has produced a number of good black physicians as well. And, um, but you were also at Xavier at HBCU and you get accepted to an out-of-state private institution, which is what Howard would have meant. And that came with a big price tag. So daddy said, pray about it. And you, you took a, a leap of faith. And you did go ahead and go to Howard and it seems to be seems to have been a, a good decision, As a matter of fact, the best decision for you. And uh you know that Howard has some challenges, you know, just like Xavier of course has challenges, our HBCUs do. Give me some good and bad about going to Howard Medical School.
2: Uh, I think the the bad is is pretty much you know the same thing with all of the HBCUs, right? It's there probably isn't as much funding as if I went to LSU for for different things, right? There, you know that that's always kind of like the the biggest housing? thing, right? Uh, most of us live off campus, so it's just oh, kinda, you know DC, DC housing is overall expensive. Yes. Uh, but, you know, uh, like you said, going to a private institution, right? Although Howard is one of the cheaper ones, if I had went to LSU, you know, the amount of loans I put out definitely would have been a little cheaper because I'm from Louisiana. It's also a public school. So, so that's another thing. But I mean, outside of the general uh, HBCU complaints that you hear, you know, it's, it's pretty much the same as far as the negative sides. Uh, but on the backside of it, right, all of the positives, the patient population for me is just, just beautiful. I've been able to pick up a little bit of Spanish because we have a large Spanish population that comes into the know. hospital. That's good to know. Oh, yes, ma'am. I didn't realize it when I first moved up here, but I was like, I need to get on game because <laughs> I can't just be in these rooms not un- understanding my patients. A lot of my patients have been African-American. You know, not only look like me, but they come from similar backgrounds as me, similar economic upbringings as I did. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's also been beautiful. But then just even being at Howard and just to see how they treat us and also the learning autonomy, right? Like they treat us once we get in the hospital, like we're on intern level. So like they really push us. They tell us that, you know, the reason we're so hard on you because when you leave these doors, we want you to be the best. And I needed that. Like I'm the type of person that I'm challenge oriented, right? I need to be pushed. And and that's what Howard provided for me, regardless of of what HBCU uh, setbacks, you know, might come with it. I don't second guess my decision at all. And and the mentorship as well with, with, again, all these giants in medicine has just been the the cherry on top.
0: I I mean, I can tell you um, that I've worked with uh, some fourth years when they were matching from Howard and they got outstanding residencies. They are doing very well. I'm talking about places like University of Pitt. They got Dartmouth um, University. There is no shortage of residencies uh, that a Howard student will encounter. I think we
2: had a 100% match rate this past year, as a matter of fact. That's a big
0: deal. That's a big deal. And so people need Mm -hmm. to understand that uh, Howard still produces great doctors, and uh, you will get your match. And that's something that you want to anticipate. And not only will you get your match, when you go to that next place. You're going to be able to thrive. So someone said, "Well, why would we go to a black? It's not just a black um, medical school. I mean, Howard has been built on a collaborative effort between everybody—black, white, mm-hmm. Hispanic—everybody. Community leaders have wanted to make sure Howard thrives. So the future looks bright for you.
1: You're going to. That's my hope.
0: <laughs> So explain yeah. to me this this program that you're in with Howard. I do remember uh, vaguely that I could have gotten an MD, JD, MPH, which I went on mm. to the MPH first. Mm. What is? Are you in a special program with Howard, or are you creating yes, your own ma'am. path? So
2: the MD MBA program is is kind of like it's been a thing for a while. I think most professional schools at Howard uh, or master's programs could you know provide that option to students. So in my cohort right now. It's for uh, MD, MBAs. We have some JD MBAs, some PharmD MBAs, a lot of uh, in between. So I just have to take a year off to do my coursework. I think it's around like 30-something hours. And then from there, uh, I have my MBA. Then I'll go into my sub-eye rotations and really just go into residency match. And I'll be finished in uh, May of 2024.
0: So let me go some curriculum changes since I'm dating Mm -hmm. myself. You, you, you have medical school is, um, you do your basic science your first two years Mm -hmm. and then you take what we called a step one. Are we still taking that? Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. And then you go off third and fourth year and then you take step two. So
2: for us, right, my third year, I, which I just finished, so at Howard, we generally, uh, and I think that's more the traditional way because now, as we spoke that day, like a lot of schools are changing and it's just kind of different. Also, yeah, some school with the 18-month curriculum, so there's a lot of different things, but I guess we're more still the traditional way. So after third year, we have to do CK which is step two, and then uh, the clinical skills, which they changed. And we did a clinical skills in-house, you know, from our in-house clinical skills exam that replaced the CS, which was very expensive when it was happening. I think it was like $1,000. And then you also have to drive to one of the places. So uh, I did my CS. You have to take my CK, and then that'll be all of my board exams from medical school. I don't, I don't think I actually have. Outside of my CK, I don't think I have any more medical school exams.
0: What does CK stand for?
2: Uh, the clinical knowledge one, so it's step two okay. c k
0: so you got step one and mm-hmm. you have a step two a step two being called c k now
2: you could really just call it step two now it's the only step two we have to take, but it used to be step two c k and then you do step two c s which is the clinical skills one, but oh, they break it up mm-hmm. yes ma'am. No, but now since they they basically cut it off, and uh I think ours the c s that we did at Howard uh, we have to see like eight or nine patients and The governing body, I think, that, you know, sends the standardized patients and grades us is a mixture of administrators from uh, the DMV Medical School. So, like, Howard, Georgetown, GW, uh, EVMS, um, Uniform Health Services. So, like, all of the medical schools, I think, all put administrators and standardized patients into that. Because, I'm not mistaken, I think it was, like, the Mid-Atlantic Medical Administrators or something that gave us the exam. So we all oh. just had to pick a day. So the good thing about Howard, we have a a clinical skills center and we also have a simulation lab.
1: Simulation center.
2: So mm-hmm. yes, so we have, you know, that's also a real positive um, for us. Like we can, you know, practice surgeries, um mm-hmm. Do uh, advanced life support in uh, our simulation center for clinical skills, kind of like where they teach us how to be like a practitioner. So, you go in there, here's the questions you ask, here's how you do your physical exam. So, that's where we did our clinical skills exam, our CS exam in that room.
0: And then you were saying the grading system. So, mm-hmm. I know I remember the MCAT got changed, right? And so, oh. like, oh, I didn't even know that that's changed, but the grading, like, like I had, we had like you know. Fifteen as the max score. Now they're okay. saying was, okay. yeah. so what is
2: it for you guys? I think I think the MCAT is the highest you can get is a five twenty, but step okay. one is pass or fail now.
0: Yeah, that's what you were telling so, me. Pass fail. Okay. And, so, and what about when we break up step two?
2: So to step two, C S always was pass fail. Oh okay. uh, clinical skills part. But uh, CK, the clinical skills, I think they increased the the passing score by like four points. But then that's also where more emphasis is going to come for residencies is that's, the CK.
0: So is this the first year that USMLE step one is passed, failed?
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, and so
0: you said there are some issues in terms of students not really knowing whether they'll be on the part of the curve of being mm-hmm. a passing or failing. Yeah. So that's just been a uh, that's been like a national
2: problem. I have friends um, at other HBCU medical schools, just at other schools in general, who have just been, you know, having issues with the studying side of it, just figuring out how to navigate this new test, honestly, in real time. You know, the the practice exams, like how they're graded is also different than how it was before. You know, I I think there was also issues in understanding, like, how to review the wrong questions that students get on these practice exams. So it's really just kind of everyone's kind of trying to figure it out on the fly. Personally, I think that long term is going to be really good. Uh, I feel that overall people do just much better, specifically minority populations do much better on CK because mm-hmm. a lot of CK, you're exposed to it in the hospital. and A lot of people learn more by doing.
0: It. So we're talking about the basic science part. And I know the black students historically have struggled. On mm-hmm. step one, like that was a big deal. Like you didn't do well in histology and biochemistry, mm-hmm. and and so you're you're step one, and they got mm-hmm. left behind. I mean, I went to a predominantly white medical school, and it's ten of us, and we look around, and then there's six, and then we only graduate four. So mm-hmm. it's it's a struggle. Um, it's very clear who's struggling. So. Are you saying that the pass fail is good for the basic science? Yeah, so
2: so I think I think the pass fail again when you comparatively look at it, uh, the application compare like if we're comparing step one to, to clinical knowledge, I feel like clinical knowledge is going to be more relevant to how we practice, right? You know, like what medication you give to this versus like oh, what's the mechanism of this? Mm-hmm. Um, so I definitely step one with the basic science is while being very important. I don't want to disclaim that it that it's not important at all. But I think that clinical knowledge is far more relevant for what we do. Uh, I think the biggest stressor, specifically for a lot of minority students who have a lot of aspirations to be surgeons or to be specific type of doctors, if you didn't get that score on step one, while you may pass it, you're still knocked off from meaning sure. of what you okay. want to be. I've actually had this conversation with some residents before who wanted to do other things, but because they didn't get, this score on step one they weren't able to numerical score numerical score exactly yes no i think getting students to where they're proficient like to pass it should be the goal at this point right the curriculums to be able to adjust to this new exam is i think you know gonna be the issue right like how do we better prepare our students for this type of exam versus previously? Because, you know, they just didn't change the scoring of it. They're definitely going to change a lot of different things. It's kind of like a, a wholesale overturn of, of the previous system. So um, I definitely think this is the first time. Um, I think there's going to be some improvements made on, uh, on levels administratively across the country. Um, so I, I definitely like in the future it's going to be a lot better. I just think it's kind of like that first bump in the road. So people kind of shook by it. So now they're going to be uh, more aware, more prepared, uh, more hyper-focused on how to make sure it doesn't happen again.
0: Just so for completion, after step one, step two, and this is something else our students also, anyone preparing for medical school, you have step three, which will allow Mm -hmm. you to sit for a licensing exam Mm -hmm. and get your license. Um, And I say that because Texas has an extra licensing exam, even though you have passed step three, you present mm-hmm. that to Texas, uh, for instance, and then you still have to take a. I think we have to take a law exam to get our Texas medical license. Some some states don't. Louisiana didn't have one when I got my Louisiana license. But thank God, to- <laughs> <laughs> one <laughs> less test. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. So I don't <laughs> let my Texas license go. People need to understand that. And then you will take your your boards from your residency, and your you will anticipate taking your residency boards, and you will be taking your specialty oral mm-hmm. examination, and then you will have to maintain it. So it's a a life uh, dedicated to learning. I know I could talk to you another two hours, but let me just say this. Um, Let me ask you this in summary. I want you to give your best advice to someone in high school, someone in college, and someone going to medical school.
2: As far as students in high school, I think that's kind of like the the biggest step forward as far as like figuring out what you want to do in life, and most importantly, kind of figuring out yourself. You know, like, like, what do you want to be? What are your likes? What are your dislikes? How do you operate as a person? You know, finding self.
0: Do You think somebody can find that in high school?
2: I don't think completely. I think also through college and also other things. But I think high school is, is where you kind of find that foundational piece. Of, of self, right? You know, while while you may not be fully on your own, high school is where your parents kind of, you know, give you a little bit more freedom, a little bit more trust. And then that is kind of like your buffer to adult life, right? When you're in high school, uh, I know for my parents, you know, they kind of incrementally gave me more freedom till my senior year. It was just kind of like, okay, you're going to college next year. So here is where. All this time we put in invested in you and raising you and in helping you along the way. Here is where you start to begin to kind of display that, right? So for, for high schoolers, you know, be yourself. Find, you know, what you like to do. Find your passions. Hold on to them. And uh, continue to work hard and just keep fighting. You know, high school may seem like the end of the world. There's a lot of things that kind of happen during that time. You lose friends. You make friends. You fail classes. You fail tests. You pass them. So it's a real big transition period. So just kind of stay, keep your head down, keep pushing, and just kind of have fun. Uh, As far as college students, you're going to make mistakes, right? This is, you know, you're an adult now. Life may seem like it's ending every random Tuesday (laughs) in September. (laughs) Um, And especially for those uh, that are going the pre-med track, right? You know, we've both been through it. It, Mm -hmm. It's brutal. But God puts us in in different positions in life, because we're meant to be there, not only because we want to be there. And then, if you made it that far, just keep fighting, mm-hmm. right? It, it's going to be hard, but you know, further down the road, when you're looking at it, it's going to be a whole lot easier, I and mean, you're going to appreciate it a whole lot more. I know for myself, Xavier, you know, was taking us through the ringer. Mm-hmm. Looking back on it now, you know, it prepared me, right? I made friends of a lifetime.
0: For college oh. kids, also tell them it doesn't get easier; you just learn how to manage mm-hmm. better.
2: Exactly. And, and and that's the thing. I think, I think that's the, that should be everyone's motto for adulthood. <laughs> Nothing really changes in adulthood. You just know how to, and that's something that I made 26 in June. And I think this is the first time I'm actually is registering to me that like, this is my life. Now, like I'm an adult, but I understand how to handle these challenges because I've I've experienced them before since I've, you know, whether it be college, whether it be medical school. So it's all about again, like knowing yourself, knowing how you handle things and finding healthy coping mechanisms. I think while high school is kind of preparing you for that adult life, college is like the you're in the car of adult life and you know you have all the seatbelts and all of the cushion and stuff because you're kinda of like a crash dummy trying to figure it out and trying to get through it. But again, just, you know, be focused. Um, trust yourself, trust your faith, or whatever you may believe in, or whatever you may not believe in. Just keep grinding, just keep pushing. Believe in yourself above all. Self-belief will get you through some some spirit. very low values. Mm-hmm. So just remember, bro, like it gets better. It mm-hmm. always absolutely gets better. Mm-hmm. And uh, for medical school, you in hell for four years. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> Once you figure out you know what works for you, whether it be studying, whether it be your schedule, you know, once you, you hit the ground and you figure things out, it's beautiful, right? You finally, you know, you, you're reaping the benefits of what you've been working so hard for, right? You're a student doctor. As Dr. K said at the beginning, like you're Dr. wills or a doctor, whatever it may be. So, so you're finally in that zone where you're helping people and, and where, you know, you're, you're getting that first taste of what you're going to be doing for the rest of your life. So enjoy it right? You know, your hard work and you're going to continue to work hard, right? It is not going to just get easy all of a sudden, but you're finally starting to see the beginning uh, increments of, of, your, of your labor.
0: In medical school, what I said mm-hmm. was you're learning to be a professional and it doesn't matter your mood. It does not matter how you feel. You have to get that discipline to say, I am a professional. And I have a job today to do that I chose to do, you know, and that I'm choosing to continue to do. So, you know, when you go into that realm of becoming, going to professional or graduate school, that's truly how you must go at it, you know. Mm -hmm. And not to say that we become emotionless, you Mm -hmm. know, you have your emotions, but part of being a professional is knowing that you have to be able to separate that emotion, the emotions of the day with the task that you are given and apply your knowledge and go forward right and and perform the task 100% um, yeah so that's that's something that i actually read like in medical mm-hmm. school i was reading like the road less traveled you know i had these um books that helped me support my emotional development mm-hmm. as a young person dealing with medical school the stress of it all like you said you know, how you view where you are. One of my best mentors, Dr. Gina Gray, who was the first black surgeon to finish from, I want to say Tulane. I hope I'm not dating, but she is from Louisiana as well. And she just, you know, said, you know, if you don't have a goal as you go about the day, you might as well be digging ditches. You know, Mm -hmm. everything you do from studying, there has to be a reason why. There has to be a purpose at the end of the day. You know, when you go in that library to sit down, you better come out knowing something. (laughs) I was like, okay, you know, after your surgical rotation and you have to go read, your goal is to learn something that'll benefit you for the next day. Because other than that, you might as well just be doing something mindless. Is that how you approach it? Oh,
2: yes, no. uh, And I mean, again, kind of like me, you talk about a lot, like anytime you tell me something, I put it in my planner. Because again, like those goals is kind of what keeps my... My mm-hmm. gears turning like I know if you know today I have to do X Y Z and I have to knock it through. Not only do I I want to get it done, but I want to get it done to like the best mm-hmm. way that I possibly can. I remember you asked me about uh, about planning the residency fair, and I think it was kind of like the same thing. I took it on as kind of like a, oh, love love a project from myself, and then it was just every little about it you know to the name cards to to even the projector with the pictures it was like if i want to do something i'm going to do it but i'm going to do it to the best that i possibly can Mm -hmm. that's also one thing that i also can tell to all levels, from high school to college medical school even beyond right if you're going to do something do it Mm -hmm. you know like put put your all into it right and just live with the results at the end of the day all we can't control is ourselves. That's right. and, and I think oftentimes, you know, we place more uh, investment and more time and, and care into what other people have to say or what other people think about us. At the end of the day, do what makes you happy. Do it to the best that you can and live with the results. Because that's all we can do. That's all we can do.
0: That's all we can do. So we're going to talk again when you get this MBA. and yes, we'll talk before then. i I'm going to see you before then. But I'm gonna check in with you and see how we're you know progressing. I, I love mm-hmm. it. I love this story. And uh, you have some active things that you're doing at Howard. I want to give you a minute yeah. to tell me all of the extracurricular student enhancing community outreach that you're doing at Howard. you know let us know what you're doing so that we can put it on this platform. And uh, I'd love to also reciprocate and be on your platform if I'm worthy.
2: (laughs) Yes. Oh, yes, ma'am. Definitely, definitely, definitely got something cooking up to have you on the the podcast. So again, like that's what uh, I've been working on uh, with one of my mentors. She's a pediatrician, uh, Dr. Forrester. And uh, she has a nonprofit called ENT Youth Services. And, uh, you know, she came to me because she heard one of uh, my best friends who also, he just matched in uh, urology at University cool. of Chicago. All right. Uh, shout out, Shout out to Josh. We did a, a podcast during the pandemic just kind of talking about sports and then Tiger King. There's a lot of stuff that boys talk about. And uh, she heard about it and she was like, you know, I love... And she listened to it and uh, she heard the student talking about it. So from there, she wanted to do one catered towards important topics for young people, um, specifically in the teenage age group. So I think we've done about five or six. Uh, we just did one on emotional intelligence. Uh, we had a two-part series with some uh, D.C. Metro police officers about things that we can do to kind of mitigate the tension between our communities um but also kind of move forward together because we all want the greater good. We also have one on mental health with some of our psych residents. So you know uh the podcast is doing really well. We're actually planning like another episode now and we also want to plan to get you on there. Absolutely. So that's been that's been something uh really big that uh that you know I'm happy to be a part of.
0: Okay. And the podcast is called?
2: Uh, it is ENT youth services podcast. Uh, ENT, we uh... okay.
0: we want to make sure we, have... and then what else you're doing? Anything else you got cooking?
2: Uh, so uh, my MBA, I've uh, been just doing some research uh, with one of my research PIs. Yeah, outside of that, uh, I was elected student council president. Ah, uh, you was into
0: it. I saw that. But
2: uh, because I'm in uh, business school, I have to step aside and oh, uh, appoint okay. someone else. But anytime they reach out to me, I'm always there to help them. Uh, if they have any questions, I still make sure to help. I still try to be visible in like an aid form because at the end of the day, I may be in business school, but my heart is in the College of Medicine. So uh, anything they may need, from me, I'm always there. I'm always a text or a phone call away. So while I may not be in an official capacity, you know, whatever they mean, need me, I'm there.
0: All right. I got you. Thank yes, you ma'am. so much. And it's always a pleasure. And we will be ma'am. checking in with What the Doctors Say, the Use Health and Wellness Podcast with Dr. Wilkes.
2: Yes, All ma'am. right. Thank
0: you so much for having me. All right. We'll talk, bro. Appreciate you. Yes, ma'am. What the doctor Say?